You are now listening to Sweep the Rack Podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike. Rob, what's good, homie? Yo, I got a quick funny story to happen to me today, man. Yo, let me, let me go on record. Yo, people are freaking crazy in general. Like, people are crazy in general, right, Mike? But, like, you put people out... People are really a, crazy right now. Yo, you, crazy in general without a pandemic, right? Now you I'm throw in a pandemic. Right now, bugging. Yeah, you, uh, you throw in a pandemic, and you throw in fear and media and everything else. People get absolutely batshit crazy and this is how i realized this this morning when i was walking the dog and for some reason everything that always happens to me ends up for me walking the dog i don't know why that is but i'm walking the dog down the sidewalk i have my headphones in i'm minding my own business and i'm walking you know down the sidewalk and someone's walking the same the opposite direction on the same sidewalk mike this guy put the stop sign up on me like literally like stop and I, I just like kind of like, I, I couldn't hear what he was saying because I had my music playing. So I, I literally took out my earphones and I'm like standing far away from him. Like, stop. Like, what, what are you talking about, dude? He's just like, you're too close. Six feet. I'm like, walk around me, man. I'm like, I'm on a sidewalk. Like, if you don't want to be six feet away, you the one walk around. I'm not stopping. I'm walking right through you, bro. Like, so here I am like crazy like this guy like just couldn't handle it like he was just like he had you know he looked like he was ready like for you know uh some kind of nuclear holocaust he was like i don't know i think he had a gas mask on or whatever it was and uh and then i saw like a lady get yelled out at at the grocery store too yesterday because somebody was getting too close to her like they were literally like this one old woman was yelling stand away stand away like I, i like yo man People are crazy, and I'm glad I'm quarantined sitting at home because I don't want to deal with these people right now, Mike. So I, got, I have to be honest. Like I was in Costco a couple of weeks ago, and I, almost, I had words with a I – I mean, he just looked at me like I was crazy because I was barking at him. But, um, yeah, like he walked by me once, and I gave him the eye. I gave him the, like – we both had masks on, so I just gave him, like, the what's up. You know what I'm saying? Like arms in the air, like – what what the hell's your problem walking that close to me? Then he did it again, and I had to have words. Say, yo, man, you know, social distancing, please. You know, I wasn't too aggressive about it. I mean, I was a little bit loud, I think. I got people's attention around me. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like your take there is that the person who's, who's asking for the social distancing is wrong. I got to be honest. I, I kind of feel that perspective. You know, I don't want people walking too close to me now. In the dog walking situation, I would have just walked in the street or found a way around, like, all right, like, if I wanted to do that, you know. But uh, in the supermarket, you know, obviously a little bit different, a little bit tougher. You know, I think everybody's got to, like, take their time and watch where they're going and, you know, just make sure you take your time, really. That's what everybody's got to see. Everybody's so used to doing things so fast and rushing around. And with this shit, like, with the social distancing, you got to slow down. You know, everything's slower. Like, you got to walk through the store slower. You got to, you know, make sure you keep your distance from people. So, 
I don't know, man. I kind of feel those people. I don't really want two people too close to me either, Rob. You got too close to me on the sidewalk. I might give you that side eye, dog. Yo, but the sidewalk is to me is like if we don't want if we if I don't want to walk on the same sidewalk as somebody, I'm the person that has to do the walking around. You get me? Like no, I, per- I agreed with that. I agreed with that. Don't put a stop sign up on me. To expect me to walk around you. Like no, like I don't care. Like I have my mask on. I when I walk by somebody on the sidewalk, I I have my mask. I put my head down. You know, I hold my breath, man. I, you know, but dude, don't put a stop sign up on me. Like I, that's yo. I'm a grown ass man, dog. Don't don't put a stop sign up on me. Well, other than uh, starting beef with old people on your dog walks, as you usually do, what uh, what else is new during this pandemic, Rob? Yo, there's some bowling news, Mike. Some uh, bowling news we should uh, get into. Uh, uh, I'm sure you didn't miss it on the USB message board, considering like 50 people post about the same topic in a matter of like 12 hours. And then, my, yo, my favorite is the admin. He comes on. I don't know this guy, right? He comes on and he, he, he's like admin. He's like too many duplicated posts like and i'm just dying man it's like straight entertainment but yeah uh you know there's some uh, tournaments that got canceled and moved and uh, i kind of feel like we need to talk a little bit about it yeah so junior gold got canceled um you know i mean listen it's it's the right move though yeah how are you supposed to pull off an event that big with what's going on that's crazy that's crazy. yeah and 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 the comments (laughs) <laughs> on the USBC Facebook page, it wasn't so much the USBC discussion board on Facebook. It was the actual USBC uh, Facebook page. I mean, they were atrocious. You know, these junior gold parents, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves, you know, putting your kids' uh, bowling tournament ahead of the, 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 better, the better decision for everyone involved in general. You know, no one even knows if, like, things are going to be opened up enough in the summer for people to travel freely like that. So clearly the right decision was to cancel it. I couldn't even believe there were people going on there saying, well, the USBC should grant another year of eligibility to kids. You know what? Bullshit. These kids get to bowl whatever they want. Yeah. They bowl adult tournaments. They bowl regionals. They bowl junior gold. You know, I'm kind of tired of hearing about it. Um, you know, how about they just accept that, you know, sometimes in life shitty things happen. And there's a lot of shitty things happening as a result of this. So I couldn't believe out of the, you know, I didn't read all of them because, you know, my my head would have exploded by the end. But, you know, there were over 200 comments. And from what I read, there were the, the vast majority of them were, uh, were, you know, negative. Were like, you know, saying that the Mike. USBC was making the wrong decision here. Mike, I've been on record previous podcasts. Look, USBC is damned if they do and damned if they don't in this situation. Because if they didn't cancel it and they were still holding it, then you just have another batch of 200 people posting that what exactly what you just said. Oh, you're, all you guys care about is holding it and getting money. You don't care about the welfare of the bowlers. And then when they cancel it, you got other parents saying, well, I feel like this is just across the board. One, social media. People are going to bitch and complain regardless of what decisions that are being made. Uh, it goes for everything. Bowling, politics, you know, whatever is on Facebook and social media, you know, people are just going to hate. They're going to argue. They're just going to just do whatever they can to just 
you know, bitch and complain. And then we ask why, like, kids today, today have, like, this, like, sense of entitlement because they're, they see their parents posting shit on message boards that, you know, like, yo, Mike, if, if my kid was going to junior goal this year and they were going to hold this tournament and it was actually going to go, dude, there was no chance that I was going to take my, my kid and my family out to, for a tournament be, in, in, in what's going on right now. Like, I don't care. Like, you know what? The kid will deal with it. Like, it's junior goal, big deal. Like, you know what? It's a tournament. There's bigger... It's a bigger thing going on right now than a bowling tournament. So, man, crazy though. That's what you just. That's what's going to happen on the internet, Mike. It's cr- people are going to get crazy. Like the yeah, stuff. I mean, I don't judge in general. Uh, you know, in terms of people's opinions and whatnot, I'm I'm not saying that that speaks for the majority of people, obviously. But you know, I was just surprised to see comment after comment, kind of saying the same thing. Um, you know, so yeah, with that said, Rob, you know, Junior Gold is canceled, but the USBC uh, Open Championships is still on, but has been rescheduled, has been pushed back. Mm. Uh, just, dude, just pull the plug, man. Like, you know, you yeah. just, you just, dude, at this point, you're just pushing it back and you're pushing it back. People then, they have plans, they have flights already made. They cancel it, then they what? They're gonna remake their flights or, or rebook their flights and rebook their hotels, and then they're gonna get pushed again, and then pushed again, and then just I mean, it gets to the point where you're better off just saying, you know what? Sierra's a wash, 2020s shit, it's gone. Let's just start preparing for for 2021 and, and maybe figure out uh, make how to make it a bigger and better tournament than 2020 because we missed it. I, I don't know what else really to do at this point. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't really see all that much of a need to prolong things. You know, it's and keep things up in the air. It's the same thing with the leagues. You know, the, the league season at this point only would have had a few weeks left anyway. You know, obviously we're not going to get a chance to finish up the league season. You know, and and again, while I understand that there's a you know a financial impact to you know various parties in all of these decisions. You know, the the fact of the matter is is that your hands are, are tied to some degree, you know, and, and Rob, I asked this question, like, even if, even if they were able to open bowling centers right now, and even if they were able to reschedule some of this stuff, even earlier than what they are, do you think that people are, are really going to be that willing or that able to just pick up and go and, and, you know, go to a bowling tournament after after all of this so recently you know i think if they did open up bowling centers i feel like there would be a a a certain amount of people that actually would go bowl and and would go do normally what they normally uh, normally would do uh there's a, a pretty vast majority of people that when i i read on social media and that i talk to that think this is just an overblown flu, I guess. And they're, they don't, they're not taking it seriously as some other people are, are taking it seriously. And, I mean, dude, there are people protesting. Like, I, I saw a big protest in downtown Huntington Beach in my old stomping ground where people are protesting the government is, is, is locking down. And, and I saw another protest. There, there are people that think that the government is just using this to, like, control them, and they don't like it. 
So I feel like if you open up bowling eyes, you open up restaurants and bars, I feel like there's still going to be a majority of people that are actually going to go do it. Um, now I'm not saying if that's the right decision or not, but yeah, I kind of feel like the bowling alleys are hurting. And I said this at the, at the beginning of the whole pandemic, like that's my biggest concern. Uh, my brother told me in down in Florida that they're actually, I guess one bowling alley shut its doors completely. They have like, it was like a 60 lane center down there. They completely closed and I don't think they're reopening. So I'd imagine there's going to be quite a few businesses that if this thing, if the government shuts down, bowling alleys might not open up, reopen up because they just can't, they can't recover. So, I mean, yeah, the quicker they can get these bowling centers open, I think it's the better for the bowling and better for the industry, but not obviously for the welfare of the people. Yeah, I'll be honest. I just don't think that bowling, you know, especially if you're talking in a league setting or a tournament setting, I don't think that it lends itself very well to coming back quickly from, from this particular situation. Uh, you know, I would. I, you said that the majority of people would probably go out and want to get in the bowling alley. So I have to be honest. I think that, you know, it, it might be close to a split, but um, I would be surprised if the majority of people were rushing back into the bowling center. I mean, I, I could picture myself going to practice um, by myself. You know, at a time when there's not many people there. Uh, you know, but as far as bowling league and or a tournament, you know, and I I have to say, even any time in 2020, to me. You know, I'm looking more towards January 2021 as the the time where you know things will probably be fully open again, and most people, a majority of people, will feel comfortable, you know, kind of engaging in those environments. And like I said, you know, bowling in terms of a tournament or league setting is does not lend itself very well to a situation like this. I mean, you look at other sports like tennis or golf. I mean, to me, those are ideal recreation type sports right now you know track and field running obviously is something that people can still do uh you know but anything that has you know people crammed into a small space or close contact etc you know i'm not i'm not so sure that uh we're going to be able to resume those types of activities so quickly so i think bowling is definitely in a tight spot here and as you mentioned rob with the bowling centers i mean you would think that a, a, a corporation like Bolero has a huge advantage in a situation like this because they are much more able to survive a, a shutdown of this nature where I'm sure there's a lot of small bowling centers out there that, you know, are struggling right now, you know, and, and, and don't know how they're going to make it through this if it lasts uh, all that much longer. Um, so, yeah, obviously, you know, feel for them and, and no one saw this situation coming, but, you know, th- this this is uh, the the business environment in America. You know, you either you either make it or you don't survive. Unfortunately, you know, and, and unless the government steps in and decides to uh, to do something to help, uh, you know, seriously help these small businesses out, you know, through this time. So, Rob, I, I guess we're both on the same page then that the Open Championships at this point should just be canceled. That, to me, I got to be honest; it's it, it's kind of a farce to even suggest that we're going to get this going or you know we're going to be able to get this tournament in i mean i they're just kind of trying to hold on to it i mean and look like you even said it like i i understand their point their why they want to hold on to it because obviously it's one of their biggest tournaments and they're probably a lot of their revenue stream comes in from the open championships uh so you know, they want to try to hold on, hold hope, uh, 
which I, I get it, but people it's going to be tough for, for people to get, you know, get in and, 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 and fly out to Reno in, in, in the way the situation is right now. I mean, and then the other people that think that they should just let this thing play out, you know, and, and I call it, it's like herd immunization where it's like, just if you're going to get it, get it. And just like, let's go on and live our lives. You know, is that's a really bad solution. It's going to overwhelm healthcare. It's going to, kill a lot of people, uh, especially like, you know, the elderly and the people that have previous or underlying health conditions. It's a bad way to look at it, but you know, there's a lot of people who feel that way. So people like shit, I don't care. I'll, I'll go bull. Like, (laughs) you know, so Mike, it's a lot of shit going on. So yeah, I kind of feel like they just need to cancel the open championships and just 2021 and just like, let's get it going next year and just kind of Look at 2020 as just a wash, but you also had a good point about the financial aspect of it. Yeah, and I'll say this too. So, you know, to me, my opinion on that kind of reflects my view of of league bowling, tournament bowling. You know, but I will say this, Rob. You know, you you follow sports, right? And I'm sure a lot of our listeners follow sports. I've been yep. hearing a lot of crazy shit in the news about you know various sporting organizations and what their plans are and how they're how how they're trying to make plans to move forward and and produce some kind of content within their sport. I mean, uh, I heard that Major League Baseball was thinking about quarantining everybody in Arizona. Did you hear about that, Rob? I did. Yeah, the crazy. But I mean, look like you, you're dealing with a, a big sport with a lot of money involved and there's a lot of power. I mean, Mike, I know you're not a big fan of the WWE, but Vince is, is still putting out content, and he, he even became essential in the state of Florida. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I that, which is crazy. It's, uh, I, from what I read, that's a money thing, but... Um, but Matt, yeah, no, so, so I also heard that UFC, that Dana White was interested in, like, purchasing an island or renting an island to try and bring all the fighters there. I'm, I'm serious. I've read about... the. I mean, people are really thinking outside the box here. So Rob, I, I want to say this, like I do feel that it might take some time for league bowling, you know, local tournament bowling, you know, even anything other than pro level bowling to come back. But Rob, I got to say this. I think that the PBA is missing a huge opportunity here right now, you know, and, and the same way that, that the, you, I just said some of these other commissioners and owners are thinking outside the box in terms of how to produce this content you know, and, and get their sports up and running again. I think bowling is, uh, it's, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think it can't be that hard of a solution. I mean, you get 20 top 20 guys. Obviously you're not going to be able to draw guys from overseas. You get top 20 guys from America. You get them in the same location, wherever that is bowling center lockdown. You keep a tight lock on everybody's health status you know, everybody should obviously be tested before they get there, monitored after they're there. You know, you keep social distancing going on while the event is going on. And, like, you could almost tailor it right to TV. Like, why not have, like, a, you know, take two of the best guys in the top 20 and put them on against each other for one night? You know, Rob, all eyes would be on that right now. There would be – they'd figure out a way to, to work out the betting and bowling. All eyes would be on it. It's a chance to capture new audiences. 
you know, you have other sports organizations thinking about running islands or quarantining their entire league. Are you telling me that the PBA can't do that with 20 people? I mean, I don't know. Mm. That's a pretty, that's a, that's a hot take, Mike, honestly. Uh, I mean, I don't know that. I don't know that answer to that question because I'm not involved in, you know, trying to run a, a, a tournament in like an unprecedented time during a quarantine. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it probably could be done. Uh, I know at least from my own personal experience in my industry, uh, you know, and I deal in transportation that a lot of shippers are uh, testing drivers when, when they walk into the warehouses, they're like literally taking their temperature and they're right. checking that out. So it's happening on a daily across the country, Mike, people are getting yeah, why, why can't that be done? You know, why can't that be done? You monitor people closely. You limit the amount of people that are there, you know, and you, you, you find a way to produce the content, you know, because all eyes would be on it right now. You know, to me, bowling, golf, it, aren't, aren't Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods doing another thing soon while, while this lockdown is going on? I read something about that, too, you know, that they're trying to put uh, some content together. Because, again, golf kind of works to that. You know, you could socially distance while you golf. You could socially distance while you bowl if it's a limited amount of people in the bowling center. You know, if you, if you only have four guys in the entire bowling center bowling, two matches going on just for that night of competition, you know, and you match A and match B, and match A is on lanes 21 and 22, and match B is on lanes, uh, you know, 45 and 46. They're 20 lanes apart from each other. And yeah, you know, the, you keep the, the bowlers a couple, you know, one sits behind one pair, the other sits behind another pair to the right of where they're bowling. You know, social distancing to me isn't a big deal in bowling if you can control the numbers. It's when the numbers get really high, you know, in terms of people on a pair or number of teams in the building, bowlers in the building. That's where, you know, a lot of those problems are, are going are, uh, to pop up. But, you know, come on, let's think outside the box here. Let's produce some bowling content. It's where I'm at. Well, I kind of feel like you have to find a location that people would be able to maybe drive more than like, like you said, like obviously you're not getting anybody from overseas, but it's the traveling that is the, the hard part. I would imagine like, I mean, the last thing I want to do right now is cab or take a train or whatever into the airport and then take a flight somewhere right like because you you can't social distance on an airplane uh so yeah you're likely to be the only person on the plane though maybe you know if the, i'm surprised you know i don't know what the traveling costs would probably be minimal I'd, I'd imagine but if you found a place like maybe usbc headquarters in dallas somewhere like that and right. it was more central right. where people could drive and maybe you don't get 20 but maybe to your point maybe you get five people or seven people and maybe you have a you remember that tournament they ran um, where they had like, it was like eight people and you watched them bowling each other and it was like a, a, an event. I forgot what the tournament that was, but it right. was in this. You remember that tournament where they were bowling matches against each other and then yeah. they, they kept bowling the pros? Yeah, they could do something like that. Uh, you know, call it uh, uh, whatever, put, put a little bit of money online. Now, real quick. I mean, point, Rob, though, you, listen, hold on. Wait, you, you can do whatever you want once you get the guys there. Sure. Right, you could come up with with different content for different nights of the week. I mean, right now people are dying 
for live sports content. I mean, you can have one night where it's a skins game, another night where it's the match play tournament, another night where it's one-on-one action. I mean, who knows what the possibilities are? Who knows what Fox would say if the PBA went to them and said, you know what, we're going to find a way to produce content. They might say, all right, we want you on every night of the week until we can get, you know. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's just a unique opportunity. Yeah, it's the production crew, though, too, man. There's a lot of other people that have to get, you know, out there and quarantined and stuff. Imagine being a cameraman for Fox Sports, and they call you up and say, hey, we're, we need you out to Dallas to do a, you know, a live event from, from Dallas. Now you're a cameraman in your home and doing this whole thing. Like, dude, like, is that fair to you as a cameraman to go and, like, have to, like, put yourself on, like, out there to produce bowling? You know, yeah, no, like, I understand. And then all, all those things would have to be worked out, but I'm sure there'd be somebody who would be willing to work. You know, I mean, you know, a lot of people are out of work right now. I'm sure there's somebody that along the line who would say, you know, okay, yeah, you know, if we're doing it the right way and, and everybody's being checked and tested and, you know, masks are being worn by everybody but the athletes, you know, then, yeah, why not? I mean, so listen, I just throw it out there. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I know it's a long shot, et cetera. Uh, you know, had we known the, the shutdown was going to go on this long, I mean, you know, granted, it's you can only keep people, you know, quarantined for so long. But, you know, maybe the opportunity to produce more content while everybody was there for the World Series was something that, you know, could have could have been worked out in some way. You know, yeah. but, um, you know, you don't it's, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to see some out of the box creative thinking from the PBA team, Rob. Mm. Yeah, it's unprecedented. So, I mean, I can't. I can't fault them either for not doing anything either. Like, I can't just say, you know, yeah, missed opportunity. But really, did, were, were the ratings that much higher when they aired that, um, the major show? You know, the last one, I forgot which one it was, but where there was no audience and it was live on Saturday night. And it was when the first thing started going down. I don't think, the, I think the ratings were actually shit for that show, Mike. Yeah, but Rob, that was right at the beginning of all this. You know, that, was, that wasn't a month in, six weeks in, to people not having any live sports content. Rob, sports stations are rerunning classic games, and people are actually watching them and tweeting about them. I mean, that, this, is, this is where we're at on the sports landscape. So, you know, anybody who finds a way to produce content, live sports content right now, is going to have all eyes on that sports content, including, as I said, the eyes of the gambling world. I almost feel like that might be the most important part of it, is like if, if Boeing were able to get that attention right now and get the eyes of the gambling world on it and they found a way to work it out, then, yeah, you know, that, that would be excellent going forward for Boeing because it would enter that level of sports where, Gambling is there. Rob, I know people that are betting on, on ping pong right now. Hmm. Yeah. In other countries, I think in South Korea, it's like there's ping pong going on. I mean, <laughs> come on. <you> know. <laughs> I got so, on that. I'll leave it at that. But uh hi right, Rob. As we do, you know, we, we always keep it moving for the people and uh we we got a hell of an interview for the people tonight. Oh my god. Yeah. It's- I think I text uh, my brother after the interview and was like, dude, this is probably by far, like, not by far, but I would say like one of our top three interviews that we've ever done. 
Yeah, and I know for a fact that the per that uh, you know our guest reached out to uh, a friend of ours at, right after the interview was over and was like, had a lot of fun with those guys. They they uh, they have a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I'm glad I went on and did it. So you know, it was nice to hear that, and uh, we did have a lot of fun. So Rob, let's get into it for the people. All right, so Rob, you hit me up and you were like, yo, 2 p.m. podcast today. And I was in the middle of fixing a fence at my house, as I had explained earlier. And uh, at first I was going to tell you, nah, man, I'm in the middle of fixing a fence. I'm sorry. Then you text me back and said, it's Jason Couch that we got. And I said, well, to hell with the fence, dog. Let's get it in. You know we always make time for the for the Hall of Famers around here. And, uh, Rob, not only Hall of Famer, but – uh, top 25 greatest player ever. Man, and not only one of the greatest top 25 players of all time, but one of the top, in my opinion, bowlers or pros who, who brought the fire, Mike. He brought the emotion when he was on, on TV. And uh, you know me, Mike, I love the fire and I love the emotion. And uh, he was probably, in my opinion, one of the best at it. And it made for must-watch TV every time Jason made a show. Absolutely. So the, the resume is expansive, Rob, obviously. Uh, top 24th out of the 50 greatest players ever. Uh, inducted in the Hall of Fame, um, multiple Halls of Fame. Uh, PBA Hall of Fame 2012, USBC Hall of Fame 2013, PBA Rookie of the Year 1992. Uh, obviously the, the three back-to-back-to-back Tournament of Champions wins, which obviously we'll ask him about. So, uh, Rob, let's bring him on. Mr. Couch, uh, good afternoon. How are you, sir? Gents, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I mean, all things considered, I think I'm doing pretty well. Rob, how are you? Man, uh, filling some time here during our quarantine, and uh, we appreciate uh, you taking your time out. And, you know, no, uh, you know, even though a lot of people are home, people are busy still uh, with their home lives. So man, we appreciate taking the time, Jason, and talking to us for a couple minutes here. Yeah, no worries at all, guys. Awesome. So uh, the, I guess the first question that we kind of get into with people in general, anybody we have on the show, is we like to give our listeners uh, an idea of how each individual got into the sport of bowling. So start there. Give us some background on what got you into the game and, and obviously what brought you to the levels of the game that, uh, that, that you ascended to. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty easy for me. Uh, growing up, uh, growing up in St. Pete, Florida, my dad owned a bowling center. So, uh, start, you get started pretty easily in it when you're, when your parents do it, you know, and I, I looked up to my parents as role models, they bowled. So, I started bowling. My older brother started bowling, and uh, we got pretty competitive with each other. And then um, I just continued to stay the course. You know, I I started bowling high rollers in the in the mega buck tournaments in the the late '80s. And uh, you know, since I was four years old, I told my dad I wanted to be a professional bowler on TV. Mm. We got to talk about the high rollers and the mega bucks, Mike. Yeah, we'll we'll get there in a second. So, uh, as, as as a young kid, um, I guess what I want to ask is is ha- how did you hone your craft? You know, did you have anybody that you came up under, or was there any any particular circumstance that helped you learn the game? Um, I would. Ha- my dad was pretty competitive uh, when when my dad was growing up. Uh, 
he actually bowled two PBA regionals, finished second in both of them. Uh, my mom got pregnant with my older brother, and he never bowled another PBA event after that. Um, so, you know, my dad was my dad was a great bowler. My mom was my coach growing up. Uh, she coached two years in high school. She went undefeated in two years in high school, won the state championship, and then started doing other things, you know. So the bowling's been in my, my family blood for a long time. My grandparents bowled. And, uh, you know, so my mom basically was my coach growing up. And then, uh, you know, I was pretty fortunate. Uh, I've got Kegel 50 miles from my house. And uh, once I started training professionally to go on the tour, I would, I would go to Kegel five days a week anywhere between four and six hours a day, I'd be down there practicing every single day. Okay. And, and, and what years would you say that was? Oh, man, I was the original Kegel. So gosh, I, I was, I was going there. I was bowling their tournaments before I even went on tour. They would have a, a 10 gamer every month called the option series. And I would go bowl once a month down there. And then I would go train uh, with, you know, with guys like Richard Shockley was the coach down there in the beginning and now uh, <clears throat> Randy Stoughton's a guy that I, I get, get some tips from occasionally when I'm struggling. Uh, I would say that 90, anywhere between 92 until about 2011, I was a pretty, pretty regular down there. Wow, okay, yeah, so you, you were down there early. Now, you said your mom was a high school bowling coach for a couple of years? That's correct. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so I, I was a high school bowling coach, too. They refer to me as the GOAT. Uh, one of the greatest uh, high schools of all time, uh, numerous state titles. So, you know, hypothetically, I would have loved to have seen a matchup of my teams against your mom's teams. I don't want to disrespect moms or anything, you know, but I, I think we would have brought it to her. But anyway, just want to throw that out there. So that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's funny because I, I attended a clinic when I was a young kid and a young bowler. It was at Carolier Lanes during the Johnny Petraglia Open and you were one of the guys that they had at the clinic who, who spoke to the bowlers uh, at that one. And I remember I was, a real, I was a real hothead myself when I bowled, and I remember that it, part of what you talked about was how you, you were really a hothead when you were a young bowler, and you, know, you had to learn how to have more patience and how to uh, have a better mental approach to the game. So is, is, is that the, the truth then, that, that you were uh, – you were a pretty bad mental case back in the day before you uh, hit the tour and really started to, to make a name for yourself. Oh God. Yeah, man. I, <laughs> I broke my big toe one time on a foul light cover. I kicked numerous ball returns. I mean, just, I, I was more mad at myself, you know, about throwing bad shots and, 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 but I mean, no matter what you do, if you, if you have a bad attitude, you're, you're never going to succeed. And, you know, and I had to learn the hard way. You know, I had to, I, I had to, you know, sit there and bowl bad and bowl bad and bowl bad and have a terrible attitude. And, and once I corrected it, you know, uh, I just started getting better and better. And, you know, when you, when you see the bigger, when you see the bigger picture on what needs to happen when you grow up, basically, is, is when things can really turn around and start performing great, you know, week in and week out. I got to follow up, Jason. Um, so, if you have to give advice out there to our listeners and maybe my brothers who might be listening to this podcast, uh, what would you give them advice on how to not be such mental cases? Basically, you know, I, let me I grab mean, it. Hold on, let, hold on. Short, let me grab a pen. You know? Let me grab a pen. Let me grab a pen. Hold on, I got to get a pen. Go ahead, start over. I got to get a pen. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, you know, you know, life is short. You know, you if you're going to throw a bad shot, 
you're going to throw a bad shot. We're all human, but you got to get over it. And the sooner you learn that and you can learn that you can make better shots when you have a better frame of mind, it just opens the door to any kind of potential that you can do in anything, any, any, any part of life. It's just so hard not to feel like an asshole when you throw such a bad shot, though. It really is. Like, oh, I mean, my God. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even if you're bowling on something tough, I mean, it, it, when I throw a bad shot and it's out the window and I just know and it's, it's picked. I mean, I throw some bad shots, too, let me tell you, like pick threes and you know, disasters. You, just, I, you know, it's just so hard to be positive about that. It really is. You really just want to kick yourself sure. in the ass. And, you know, it, it, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I, I've broken a few ball returns and, uh, but was that bathroom dispensers because you didn't want anybody to see you. So you go into the bathroom. Uh, but you know, I matured in my, uh, older age, uh, Mike. So just, you know, I haven't broken a, a ball return or a computer in a very, very long time. But, uh, I love the question because, you know, that, I think that's what made Jason such a great bowler, though. He, you were able to use that fire in a, in a, in a positive way, and you could see it on, on TV. If you watch some of the old shows, uh, man, you were a scary guy to bowl against, Jason. If I was bowling against you on TV and, and you were hot and you were striking, I don't know if I could have uh, mentally recovered. So uh, I, I tell you what, it, you know what? It doesn't hurt to have the fiery burn inside i hate to lose it everything bro you know that <laughs> <laughs> so how are you a redskins fan then i don't we'd have to talk about that later. i i am re- i am literally ready to throw all my jerseys in a pile and set them on fire if this thing doesn't get straightened out <laughs> all right we'll have to we'll have to touch on that later because i want to call out uh, uh one of our good friends and uh maybe being a bandwagon fan but we'll maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later in the interview uh so i guess my yeah. follow-up yeah. <laughs> You know, I think Jason knows who we're going to call out. But uh, um, so how, how how did you develop that style? Uh, it was very unique, um, especially back, you know, in the, in the 90s as being a – you were a power lefty, high rev rate, and uh, that wasn't pretty normal back then. Uh, you know, you saw a lot of lefties, guys like Parker Bone, uh, and maybe even, you know, some of the older lefties, like even Earl Anthony, right, who's a, you know, a vintage lefty, older, real straight, real you know usually up first second arrow and here you come banging it out of 20 um you know just super aggressive super high rev rate and high speed so i guess how did that style develop as as a young guy um you know growing up watching bowling on tv i mean you know you 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 watch the tour you know me growing up watching in the 70s you know watching mark roth just absolutely dominate i mean who didn't want to tear the cover off, off the ball watching mark bowl you know and and uh, basically, to be honest with you, bro, I grew up around more right-handers than I did left-handers. So, you know, traveling week to week, bowling, getting better, uh, learning to play deeper inside on the lane. You know, you watch you watch the guys you hang out with. You know, I, I mean, you watch like bowling the high rollers. Like, you know, I'm hanging around with, with Rudy Revs and you know uh, guys guys from New York that you know you bowl on some bad surfaces. They got to play a lot further in. You know, a lot of times, and so I just. I just kind of adapted to, to bowling on some tougher conditions and hooking conditions and learned how to, how to throw it hard and, 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 you know, put some revs on it. Mike? Yeah, I think, I think that's – go, go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, Jason, <clears throat> you brought up an a interesting point 
about bowling the high rollers and developing that style, uh, which is, you know, interesting because usually uh, when you're lefty, you kind of develop a, a, a stereotypical left-handed style. I don't know if that makes any sense, but, you know, uh, so Jason, you brought up a name who is a vintage name and we're, we're, we've been trying to get on uh, by a guy named Rudy Revs. Um, so I kind of want to jump a little bit to some actions with Rudy. Were you a guy who bowled action? Was there any good stories maybe you could share with the listeners about maybe bowling some big money tournaments, high rollers, brackets, anything that would stick out if you were just kind of, we were at, at a bar right now and we were telling old bowling stories. Would you have any good ones for us? Oh, absolutely. I've got a great one and you'll love it. Um, I'm bowling... I'm bowling in San Antonio, Texas. I want to say 1990, maybe 1989, 1990, right? And it's, it's the U.S. National Scratch Tournament, it's called. Anybody from around the country can go bowl this tournament. And I walk in, and not a lot of people know me if they're not from Florida. You know, I haven't, I haven't bowled the PBA at all, and I'm, 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 I'm just breaking into the, the Megabuck tournaments. And it's a huge tournament. I mean, there's, there's 1,500 entries, and... Uh, Anybody can bowl. There's no limit on, on, on who can bowl. So I, I go over there. They've got brackets. you got to remember it's in the late 80s, and they're running thousands of brackets and big boards. You know, it was like a $100 entry to get into a big board of a bracket. And I, uh, I'm bowling, and I'm bowling really good. And I walk up to look at the brackets, and I'm sitting there looking, and Del Ballard's in front of me. And Del doesn't know who I am, but obviously I know who Del Ballard is. And he keeps looking up, and he goes, Jesus, I'm bowling the same guy in all these brackets. Who's this cooch guy? <laughs> and I'm like, the cooch guy is named, it's pronounced Couch, and I'm pretty sure he ran you over the last game. And he's like, well, who are you? And I said, I'm that guy. And he goes, well, sorry to, to, to hurt your feelings there, kid, but I had 278 the last game. And I went, yep, one pin short, Chief. And I walked over to the bracket table and took $10,000 off of Mr. Del Ballard. Oh, my God. Wow. Cooch, Jason Cooch. Yeah, who's this Cooch guy? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, that's great. That's awesome. And was was that one of your bigger scores in in, in the uh, Mega Buck circuit? Um, I actually the year I went on tour in '92, uh, they actually had that tournament like a week after we could. Uh, we bowled the stop in Beaumont, Texas, the doubles, and they had that right there in San Antonio. So I drove up, and I actually won the event that year for fifty grand. Uh, beat uh, I actually beat Eric Forkel in the title match, and you know, gr- you know, growing up watching these guys, you know, all the tour guys could bowl, so they're all there bowling. I mean, it's fifty grand, then you know, so that so it was a pretty awesome feeling to to break through and win a big tournament like that. Wow, that that's some vintage shit right there, Rob. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. But, uh, no, Rob, to touch on what you were saying before, and, and, you know, I think it's very true. You were kind of being nice about how you were saying it. I'm going to be a little bit more upfront about it. You know, most lefties, they have a stereotype that they can't get right. You know, that if they get past 15, they get a nosebleed. And, you know, you, you really don't often see dominant lefties playing from the right side of the lane. You know, and and Mr. Couch was was one of the few who did go to to that part of the lane and and really dominate from that part of the lane and had that other piece of his game too. That I, uh, I mean, would you call what 
what would you say was your A game, getting in and strapping on it or playing up the lane? Oh, by by all means, it's getting in. I'm I'm actually, you know, one of my good friends, Dave Wadka, said it to me best. He said, dude, you're a lefty in a right-hander's body, you know, yeah, or vice true. versa, right, uh, lefty in a right-hander's body. Because I, could, I would rather – I'm more comfortable getting in in front of the ball return than I am playing up the gutter. Yeah. So it's just weird, you know, for me to for, for for me to have that style. But you know, growing up with guys watching them bowl on bad surfaces and they're playing they're playing over the left gutter every week, the right handers. And I'm like, you know, if I've gotten no look out, why can't why can't I do the same thing on the other side of the lane? You know, why can't I get in there and grind it out? And you know, and there's a there's a lot of weeks on tour, guys, where where nobody would look in there. And in practice session, I would get in there, and if I felt like I had something, I would go right back outside and, and, and just – I wouldn't even show anybody until we got into qualifying and then, you know, just take advantage of it. Mm, that's interesting. Now, do you, do you think that lefties on tour today should, should perhaps try, try that a little bit more than they currently are? Because it does seem today that a lot of them choose to – play more up the lane than you do see them playing. I mean, Rhino Page is the only one that comes to mind for me who really plays in, in. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. I think that, uh, I think with the, um, the reemergence of the urethane balls have allowed them to play straighter and further out on the lane. And, you know, these guys, they're, they're winning on a regular basis. So, I mean, you can't really knock them, uh, you know, so, but, you know, sometimes sometimes when back in the day when you bowled the majors, you weren't throwing a ball outside of 10 on either side. I mean, they just – they did the lanes to where you had to play inside and you had to deal with the traffic of all the lane, the balls going down the lane. And, you know, the scores were low. So you you just kind of got comfortable and, and did what you need to do. And I would like to see them play in a little more often. But, you know, you're just you're – a, you're a product of your environment at this point. So – if the urethane ball is working good up five, you can't fault them if they're winning. Mm-hmm. Mike, <clears throat> Jason's not only good at playing in, but uh, I remember him winning a, a plastic ball challenge uh, back in mm. uh, back in the day too. So, uh, Jason, any memories of that plastic ball challenge that you won or the title you won? And uh, do you think the PBA should bring that back? Um, dude, I would love for them to have that tournament every year. Uh, out of the six years I bowled at my, my worst finish was eight. So <laughs> I would, I would love to have that tournament. I, that's what I grew up throwing, you know? So today's guys, they, they never grew up throwing plastic balls as their first ball. So, you know, they, they don't, they don't understand that, you know, how that ball needs to, if it doesn't hook in the first 15 feet, it's not going to hook at all, you know? So you got to get that ball started. So, you can tell. I mean, there was a lot of retro guys that won won that plastic ball tournament. Yeah, for sure, Mike. That's that's great. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let, let's talk about your your time on tour a little bit. Uh, you know, your you know your resume obviously speaks for itself. You're a Hall of Famer. We love our Hall of Famers around here. Uh, we treat them. We try and treat them with the utmost reverence. Uh, you were rookie of the year. You know, I, I went back, I did my research. I watched a little bit, uh, before this interview, you know, the first time I ever remember, I don't know if you'll remember this show or not, but the first time I ever remember you making an impression on me watching bowling, you were throwing a red, I think a red Robbie's axle on TV. Does this <laughs> ring a bell or no? Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Hmm. 
Good night. I mean, and let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Listen, go back and people, listeners, go back and watch this show. I'm serious. My man was doing something with a bowling ball that I had never seen anybody do with a bowling ball before. I mean, like how you were playing the lanes at that time was really like, it was almost unseen to me. And, uh, you know, that, that was the first time you made an impression, but your, your first title uh, was in 1993 in Windsor Locks, Connecticut, no? Yes, correct. Brian Voss. Mm. That is correct. I bought Brian Voss in the title match, and uh, uh, it, it, was an, it was an amazing week. I mean, the, that place, when it was wood, when Windsor Locks was wood, so much that it was crazy. I, I remember I was throwing a crush R in qualifying, and I, it got so beat up from the wood lanes that I had to go drill a fresh one for the top 24. <laughs> and uh, it was just an amazing week. I'd, you know, I'd been, I'd been getting close during that winter season on, on winning. And then, I mean, to, to bowl a Hall of Famer for your first title, that's, that's a pretty awesome feeling to win. I mean, not, not just a Hall of Famer, but Brian Voss. I mean, at that time, he was, he was Brian Voss, too, at that time. Like it was, it, it oh was yeah, surreal. he was in his he was in he in his heyday. I mean, it was his prime prime years, and he was he was he was making the show just about every week. My mom loved Brian Voss. My mom used to always swoon over Brian Voss. I remember like we watched TV, <laughs> and she would always like just say, "Oh my God, how good looking he was!" And uh, never really watched bowling, probably. But I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Maybe we could get uh one day. Maybe we get Voss on the show, you know, and I could tell him how much my mom loves him. Rob, I think every mom loves the Brian Voss. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Yeah, I'm sure Brian Voss had a lot of loves from the moms out there, the MILFs out there, I'm sure. Uh, it's funny. I, I went back and watched that show. It's another thing I encourage people to do. I want to find this guy, actually. He's probably dead, but I, I'm going to try and find him. The, the intro song for those PBA shows is some real classic shit. Can I tell you? It's got the, it's got the soulful black guy on guitar singing the song. And, uh, yeah, when I watched some of that the other day in preparation for the interview, I was like, wow, this song, I remember it, but it had escaped my memory and it coming back. I want to find the guy who did that song. We need to get him on Rob, but, uh, yeah. So rookie of the year honors the year before you win your first title. Um, tell us a little bit about life on tour at that time. I mean, it was so different from the way things are now, you know, you guys were traveling week to week rooming with people, you know, who were your roommates? What was life like? What, what were your experiences out there? Um, well, you know, it, it, was, it was cool to go to a different city every week. You know, uh, it's not the greatest in the world when you're living out of a suitcase, but, uh, you know, to meet different people all across the country, to bowl in a different bowling center every week is, was, was pretty cool. I had a few different roommates. Um, early on, I roomed with Dave Wadka. I bowled the high rollers with him for a few years, and then he went on tour a year before me. So when I went out, I, I roomed with him for the first half of my first season, and then the second half, uh, I got to room with, with Parker Bone the third, and I got to room with Parker for, gosh, 10 years probably. And uh, we still talk probably once a week to this day. And, uh, um, you know, having someone like that in your room that you can talk to and understand and you're both on the same side of the lane I mean, there was a, there was, they had, they had to put a rule in for me and Parker after like our first three years on tour together, we would, if we were on separate pairs, 
and, and, and we would go to lunch. If he had my cross the second half and I had his cross, we would switch papers, but we had we'd put on there where we stood on which board and where we were playing on the lane. So the guy would, he would be lined up before he got to the pair. Wow. So there was too many weeks in a row where me and Parker were one, two and qualifying. And the guy started asking questions and they're like, you know, how are you guys doing this? What's going on? So we're like, well, yeah, we're just, we're not doing anything illegal. We're allowed to talk to us about the lanes. So they ended up putting a rule in that you couldn't talk about lanes in between blocks. Mm, they they call that the Jason Cooch rule. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so pa- Parker was a great. He was a great roommate. Um, but you know, you get out there for thirty weeks a year, and you got you can't can't really live with the same guy. You'll you'll kill each other. So I roomed with Doug Kent for a few few years. I roomed with uh, Tony Reyes, Brian Himmler. Uh, you know, a lot of good guys. Just a lot mm. of great guys. Michael, uh, we we need to ask Jason now. There's a a, a a legendary story that we have to ask him about and see if he could share with us. So we hear there's a rental car story with Parker Bone that uh, we kind of dug down in a couple of our resources and people were like, you have to ask Jason about a rental car story with Parker Bone. So that's really all I'm going to say. Is that something where you could share with us or, or, or you want us to move on to the next? Oh yeah. Uh, No, no. I, yeah. uh, It was actually, uh, it was actually my first week on tour. I I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even know Parker, but him and Dave were, were pretty good friends. And I had met Parker a few times and uh, we all go to breakfast and uh, Parker says, Oh, I left my name shirt back in the room. Can I borrow a car to go back to the room? And it's Parker bone. Of course I'm going to give him my car. So I hand him the rental car keys and, uh, and me, I get, I go to Dave. Hey, Dave, I got my stuff. I'll just ride to the bowl with you. And he's like, okay. So we leave. We leave breakfast. We get to the stoplight. Parker's next to us in the lane next to us. He he tells me to roll down my window. And I said, uh, yeah, what's up? You forget something else? And he goes, no, whose rental car is this? And I said, it's mine. Why? He pulls the rearview mirror off and starts beating in the speedometer. And he looks at me and goes, it's called rookie hazing, you little punk. Get used to it. <laughs> So he destroys my my <laughs> rental car. So you know I've got it on a Visa card, and Visa always took care of anything happened to your rental car. So when I took it back, I said, "Hey guys, someone broke into my car. They they beat it up pretty good." And you're like, "Oh, you you, you rent it with a Visa card, so you're good. They'll cover it." And I'm like, "Okay." So six months goes by. I no retaliation from me whatsoever. So we're in Portland, Oregon, and it's me, Parker, Wadka, and John Gant are staying at a residence in together and me and parker and we get done grocery shopping and i'm pushing the card out and i go hey bro you rented the car this week right he's like yeah 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 yeah. it's it's the red one we're walking up to i go oh i couldn't remember what color it is i threw that grocery cart into the side of that car and destroyed the the driver's side panel of that (laughs) car and he's like what are you doing are you crazy i said no it's payback from torrance california about six months ago Oh my God! <laughs> I don't think the uh, rental car companies would like to hear those stories because you know allegedly someone had broke into the car. <laughs> true, true. We're no, we ain't mentioning any names. No, no company names there. Obviously, uh, yeah, that's that's great. Who who uh, who was the guy on tour when you were out there who you felt was most likely to fry out? I mean, everybody loves a good a good fry out. Who do you remember as being the person who 
you know, was either always in the paddock, cause, causing a scene, throwing the bowling balls, perhaps. I it, it would be more than one name. Um, there was guys that would just go on tilt, man. It, it, I mean, a, a good friend of mine from Lawton, Oklahoma, Bill Oaks. I mean, that guy when he when he blew a gasket, you better get out of the locker room because he's breaking everything in it, and. <laughs> He would go nuts. Jeff Sterick would go nuts back in the early days. Uh, I know I know. Rob will remember this name, Bob Vespi. He would go just on tilt, just go nuts. <laughs> That's oh, great. Yeah. And what about in terms of, uh, you, you know, you had a very long career, obviously. So we, we want to ask you about, some of your personal rivals out there, you know, not, not to say that you didn't like the guys, but guys that you bowled against who you always felt, you know, you were going to get a tough match from, or that you struggled against personally. Uh, I never really had any one guy that I struggled against, but the guy that used to give me the hardest time is Pete Weber. For some reason, it didn't matter if it was a seven game match, if it was three games total pins in the Masters, if it was just match play. It didn't matter what the format was. Me and Pete either went to the, we either went to a roll off or we tied in the total pins and had to roll off. It was always overtime with me and Pete. And his, his wife even finally caught onto it when he was married to Tracy. She's like, why don't you guys just do a one ball roll off? You're going to tie anyways. And it was it was crazy. I mean, we we went to uh, one year we bowled in Medford, Oregon, when they were doing the uh, the brackets, and you had to win three three games. And we we went to a seven ball roll off in that thing. I mean, it's like every time he struck, wow. I struck, or if he left a ten pin, I left a seven pin. And it's just Pete's always been that way. He's I mean, he's a tough competitor. He's just he, you, it's hard to hard to beat him. Was there? Was there any match? Did you guys bowl a lot on TV? Because I'm just trying to remember. Because that would, to me, be must see TV. Like to see you bowl Pete Weber. Uh, but I don't remember any. I don't recall. A, like Mike is a pretty big bowling historian. I don't really remember any time where you guys bowl each other. So I'm just kind of remembering. Maybe I could go back and maybe watch some shows where you bowl each other. We only bowled that I can think of. We only bowled one time on TV that I can think of, and that's kind of crazy. As many shows between us, right. but uh, yeah. the the. It was in the it was in the early to mid nineties. I want to say it was maybe even ninety three or ninety four. It was a senior touring doubles, and Pete and his partner uh, bowled me and my partner, and it, it was a doubles match. But I can't. I'm trying to think if I ever bowled him in any other matches, and uh, he's a lot more fun to bowl with. Uh, you know, we bowled a few years together on the Weber Cup when we went to Europe to bowl the Weber Cup, and I'd much rather bowl with him than against him. Yeah, I think uh, I think everybody in the bowling world feels that way pretty much. Yeah, be great So the I guess the thing the the accomplishment that you're most famous for in your career obviously would be would be winning the uh, the three straight tournament of champions. Um, Rob, Rob, honestly, I don't even know what to ask. Like, how did you accomplish that? I mean, can you? how do you wrap your head around winning that prestigious of a title three years in a row? I mean, it, it was unheard of. Now you see the same kind of domination from Belmonte in, in different areas or even in a couple events. But at that time, you know, uh, really was something that stood out as a, as a historical accomplishment. Yeah. I, you know, to, to, to win that tournament, just to win once on tour, you know, was, was, was one of my early goals and, to win that tournament was the ultimate goal, but to, to win it three times, um, you know, it was three different formats, three different bowling centers. 
and it was just a, it was just a really a really good stretch for me at one point um like the back half of 99 and the early part of 2000 i was just on a i was just on a monster tear i mean i just i matched up i was making good ball selections i just it, it was just a it was a big run for me i i i bowled for every major i i finished first or second in every major in a in of about a 9 month span and uh you know it just you know you, you get that confidence when you're bowling good every week, you get the confidence and, and still come to this day. I, I, I just, I don't even remember the night before when in the third one, you know, what was going through my mind the night before that thinking, Oh my gosh, dude, you won two of these and you have a chance to win again. You know, I mean, you feel pretty fortunate. I know that. Hmm. Yeah. That's one of those records, Mike, where I don't really see, you know, that happening honestly, and I'm just going to go ahead and say that. I think that's one of those records that's going to stand for a really, really long time. Uh, but um, so <clears throat> I guess my, my, my next question here is, uh, and, and I, I talked about this earlier in, in the interview about the, the emotion and, and the fire that you brought to the TV. Um, and you were like one of my favorite bowlers to watch growing up, just in that fact where it was always interesting and it was always, you know, you never knew when something like was going to like kind of give you the fire um i'm going to kind of fast forward it to today's game uh do you feel like that passion and that emotion is is missing in today's game in today's tv shows and i guess my next question is what do you think the pba has to do um to uh gain you know more sponsors and obviously bolero came in they're adding more money but to try to get to that pba that next level um, and, you know, uh, obviously after, you know, this, hopefully we all survive this Corona COVID quarantine thing, but, um, so yeah, so I guess today's game, what, like, what, what do you feel like needs to happen? Well, the, the first part of the question uh, about the players, um, I, if you, if you watch enough PBA shows, you're going to see enough of the European guys bowling, you know, they, they have more of a laid back personality so you're not going to see a lot of emotion out of those guys, you know. The 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 Americans are a lot more vocal, and you and and we wear our emotions on our sleeves, um, you know. So it's it's a little bit of both. I mean, you know, I, I just I just think they have a different approach towards it. Um, I would like to see I would like to see some of the guys from today be a little more fired up. Um, you know, the one thing I do notice on today's TV shows is Belmo's been on such a big run for a few years that the guys look scared when they bowl them, you know, and, and, uh, we, we had something like that one year at the Weber cup. Uh, we had gone through two rounds at the Weber cup and Oscar Palermo hadn't lost a match. And, uh, they were, the, the Europeans were just crushing us. And I stood in our locker room and I said, enough's enough guys. I'm not having this guy run us over anymore. And Timmy Mack, the captain, he looks at me, he's like, what are you talking about? I said, put me against Oscar, make it the opening match. I'll drill him. And he's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, bro, I'm going to stick it in his ass is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bust him up. And he's like, okay, well, if you think that way, then we're going to run you out there the first game. I, as soon as I threw the first strike, I got in his face and let him have it, and he, he couldn't get it off his hand. He was, he was so mad. He, couldn't get, he didn't win a match the rest, of the rest of the Weber Cup, and we ended up coming back and beating him. I looked at those guys because, it, you know, it's live TV over there on Sky Sports. I looked at our team and I pointed at them and I said, I told you I'd beat him. He's nothing. <laughs> and he was so mad at me. He didn't talk to me for a month. 
So, you know, it's like that. It's, it's you know, it's something like you got to get fired up. These guys got to get fired up, man. I mean, they're just as good as Belmo. I mean, is he the best bowler in the world right now? Yeah. But someone's got to go get up there and knock him off his perch and, and, and make him think about it, you know. And, and we had to do the same thing in the 90s. Walter Ray was, was on a just a run of a, of, of a decade. And, you know, it's like at some point you got to have enough of it. You got to get fired up and get after him. You know, so that's that's my take on the on the on the fiery part of it. Uh, the PBA side of it, I think they're doing a great job. I think it was a huge move to go to Fox. The ratings are better. There's more sponsors. You know, I I think that people are people aren't getting to see bowling every week like they they normally have been with this COVID deal going on, and they're going to miss it. I think you're going to see more sponsors come on board. Uh, I just think the PBA stays the course with the, with with you know, with, with Bolero and I think it's been a great move and, and I'm just, I, I see it getting better and better, you know, every week they, they're doing a much better job on the TV shows with the graphics and the design. And I just think they just need to hang in there. They'll be fine. Do you think, you know, kind of following from your comments there and, and, oh my God, what a, what a story, Rob, right? That's, that's just, that's why we do this podcast, but, uh, to follow on your comments there, uh, would you agree if we were to say that when you do have that, that drama, when you do have that fire, it just makes a better product for the show? Would you agree with that? 100% agree with that. Uh, nobody, wants to, nobody wants to tune in on, on the TV shows and see a guy going through the motions. You know, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, don't, yes. I think there's different ways of, of projecting it. Um, you know, look at I – mean, Kyle Troop hasn't won a ton of tournaments, but he's very popular because people enjoy watching him bowl. And yeah. you know, when he gets when he gets better and he's he gets a little more experience, he's going to start winning a lot more often. And you know, people people like watching him bowl. You know, one one guy that comes to mind immediately for me is I just wish Jesper would Jesper Svensson would get a little little more animated on TV, man. He because that guy can bowl, but you know, to watch him just go through the motions. You know, when he's striking, it just it's it's not very fun to watch. Rob, go ahead. I know you want to jump in. Oh my goodness. That's why Preach. I love Jason. Yo, like I've been Jason, if you were to go back and listen to some of our previous podcasts, that's what I've been saying the whole time, this whole last two years, year and a half we've been doing it. Uh people wanna see the 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 reaction, they wanna see the fire, you know, and it, um some of the best shows, right? Like that rash uh, bill show on the PBA playoff, right. In, in uh, Portland, right. One of the best shows, right. Fans got to be, the, uh, the, the, right. The, you know, the, the, the back in the day when I watched guys, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm much older than you guys, but you know, I tuned in if Marshall Holman made it. I didn't like, I didn't like watching Marshall win. I like watching him lose. <laughs> I, I like watching the antics, you know? So, uh, you know, if you if you hated Marshall, you tuned in. If you liked Marshall, you tuned in. What could be better than that? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know what, I, Rob? I'm gonna put it out there right now. I want to nominate Mr. Couch. I hope you know, Rob. We know you know the the, the people listen to this podcast. I want to nominate Mr. Couch as one of the managers for the PBA Tour teams. One of the two new teams in Bayside. We need him in Bayside, Rob. We need him bringing this fire perspective as a manager of one of the teams, getting the guys fired up, getting them ready to go out there and give it to him, just like he described he did to Oscu in the Weber Cup. I'm telling you, listen, 
if they put that Weber Cup match up on the internet right now, I would pay forty nine ninety nine to watch it. Mm, absolutely, Mike. Put me right on that now. team. Mike, put me on that team. I'm not going to bowl. Don't worry, Jason. I'm not going to bowl, but I'll be the hype <laughs> guy. I'll be the hype guy. Like I'll I'll okay. show, go up there with the mic, and I'll just you know in, I'll be just talking through the oh, uh, I'll be like Funkmaster Flex, and we we. <laughs> Well, why don't you guys? Uh, why don't you guys come up to the PBA playoffs when we get back, when we get out out for this COVID scare and come up to Portland, Maine? You guys would have a blast up there, man. Oh, uh, we both we've both been up. Yeah, we've both been up. Yeah, it's 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 awesome up there. They know how to do things up there. Yeah. Uh, Rob and I, we had actually one of the league bowlers uh, from up there on the show a while back. We had the owner of Bayside uh, on a while back, and yeah, they just know how to do things up there, and I think. In general, like the bowling community can kind of learn a lot from uh, from what they have going on up there. But yeah, really, uh, really interesting discussion there. So let's let's move forward, right? We don't we don't have all day with you here, and there's a couple more topics we need to touch on. And you know, unfortunately, what, there is one negative topic that we that we wanted to touch on with you here. And you know, if people aren't aware, we're aware. Uh, you, you you suffered an injury, a pretty serious injury. Uh, I'm not going to say in the prime of your career, but you know, while, while you were still in the mix and an and, and always threat to win, and, uh, and that was a pretty serious knee injury. Can you give us the background on that? Was it something that came out of nowhere? Was it something that developed over time? And uh, how did you get back from that eventually? Well, it was uh, it basically uh, it was from bowling all my life, just the same motion of, of millions and millions of frames. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I ended up getting – bowling in some pain for all of 2005 and 2006 seasons. And then I, uh, I just couldn't bear it anymore. So I went and had an MRI done and, uh, I ended up, you know, finding out that I had no cartilage left in my slide knee. I was bone on bone grinding, grinding on that thing every week. And, and, uh, I got a couple of opinions from some guys and they're like, you know, let's, you know, we should really consider some surgery. But then they're like, well, you know, are, are you 50 yet? And I'm like, no, guys, I'm not even close to 50. And they're like, your MRI looks like a 70-year-old man's knee because of the amount of wear and tear. And uh, they're like, but we, we don't want to do surgery till you're, till you're 50, you know, because it doesn't last very long. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work. I, I do this for a living. I, this, is my, this is my job, my career. And um, ended up finding a, a really good surgeon and um, – did one knee surgery, so I missed all of the 2007 season due to the surgery, and it was just going to be a scope where they fixed my meniscus, and when they got in there, they found out that I actually had a crack and a bone. So I, I ended up, instead of taking eight weeks off, I ended up having to take nine months off. So I uh, had, it, had it temporarily fixed back then, and then uh, about, gosh, it's been a little over two years ago now, I actually went in and had partial knee replacement on my slide knee. I, I'm actually got two metal pieces in there now, and it's the best it's ever felt in my life. Mm. Oh, that's, that's metal plates in his knee, Mike. You're going to be half machine now. So does that... Um, Terminator, bro. Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> so are we going to be seeing uh, the Terminator... Uh, dust the shoes off and hit the PBA 50 hard, uh, in the next, uh, did you, did you, I think you just turned 50. No. Yeah. November I turned 50 and I had already signed up to bowl every tournament on the senior tour, but three just because of some prior commitments. Um, I, uh, I had already started back practicing before this COVID thing hit. 
uh, I was bowling probably four days a week. And, uh, you know, with my new job, I, they, they, they want me to bowl as much as possible. So, uh, you know, I was, I, I was having a full slate of PBA 50 on my schedule when it, when it was supposed to start in April. Mm. He, Mike, he got a job that is telling him to bowl as much as possible. Now, where do I send my resume for that job and how do I get that? Because that is amazing. Uh, well, Go to Ace Mitchell Bowlers Mart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I don't have the resume that you have, so I'll just, uh, you know, stick to my day job, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, and you're right now, are you still, um, I, I know you had a lot of history and in, in, in once you, you kind of, you know, had that injury, you, you did a lot of ball repping for, for Ebonite and you, you were helping a lot of the young guys with their ball choices. Is that something, are you still, are you still doing that or, or, or where, I guess, are, are you at today when it comes to uh, the ball repping and uh, that uh, part of your career? Uh, I, you know, once I, uh, when I stopped working my position at Ebonite, I, I still continued to stay on staff. But when I stepped away from that, I stepped away from the ball repping duties as well. Um, be honest with you, I still get a call from guys time to time. You know, Ronnie Russell is the guy that comes to mind immediately that he'll call me and he'll be like, dude, this ball is doing this, this ball is doing that. And I, I, I don't even have to be there. I can, t- you know, I can listen to what he says and by his comments, I can just tell him, you're not using enough cover, you're using too much cover, and <clears throat> we'll go from there. But I still talk to quite a few guys at bowl out there about it. And then when I am out there, you know, it's just, it's second nature to help guys when, when they look like they're struggling. So, you know, I, I would do that. However, when I get to the PBA 50, you're on your own chief. I'm going to be working on my game. <laughs> mm, absolutely. We look forward to it as well, for sure. There's some, there's some great stepladder action in the PBA 50. If, uh, if people are all flow bowling and they don't check it out, you definitely should. Uh, you get some really uh, legendary lineups of of step ladder bowling, and uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to see guys still be able to perform. You know, it's one of the great things about bowling in general. Um, all right, we're gonna get you out of here soon, but I, I got to hear your thoughts on the game today. I know, I know, you still watch bowling. I know, even up until a couple of years ago in Delaware, you were popping in for a competition every now and again. So I know you, right. you're, you're still keeping a heavy eye on things. Give, give us some of your thoughts on uh on the environment today. Obviously it's much different. Uh, when I started, um, you know, it's amazing how many two handed bowlers there are now. Uh, I am not a fan of it. Um, maybe because I'm just too old school, but, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I never, never expected to see that change the game as much as it has. You know, if, if, uh, if we get another five years down the road and we have more data on it, um, maybe I'll accept it more. Um, you know, I just seen all these little kids in junior leagues throwing the ball two handed and, and we don't have data on what it's doing to their lower body and their lower back. And it scares me a little bit that maybe we're teaching them to do the wrong thing and, and hurt their bodies, you know, and, uh, it's amazing what those guys can do. You know, they can overpower a lane. They, they can certainly put a lot more rotation on the ball. Um, you know, but I just I'm not a fan of it until I, I get a little more data on it, like I said. And um, the state of the game itself, I, I think I think we're in good shape. I, I, you know, I I've seen bowling be on the uptick the last two years with the USBC. There's, you know, they've actually gone gone uh, up in up in participation, which is a good thing. 
you know, I, I just I just hope it stays the course after we, we all get out of quarantine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And uh, what's life off the lanes like for you? Well, you know, t- tell us a little bit about your personal life. I know you live in Florida. Um, you know, it's got to be decent down there. But uh, what are you into? What are some of your hobbies? What are you doing when you're not, not engaged with bowling in a, in a serious way? Well, obviously working for, for Ace Mitchell Bowlers, Mark, keeps me busy. It's a full-time job. Um, I love that part of it, you know, talking to bowling centers, talking to mechanics, you know, getting them parts they need. Uh, and then I, and then basically it's just family life. I, you know, I got, I got four daughters, uh, two are, two are grown up. Uh, I've got two at my second wife and they're, uh, they're amazing. And I, I just, I enjoy spending time with my family and, and, uh, Rob will tell you, I, when I get out on the road and I see the guys, I, I like to hang out and, and throw a few Bud Lights down and, uh, just enjoy the time with the guys too. Okay, no doubt. So I, I'm I'm a father of two daughters. Uh, give give me a piece of advice. What's something important I gotta I gotta keep in mind about raising two daughters? I got a six year old and a three year old right now. Don't sweat the small stuff. Uh, you know they're gonna make mistakes. Just 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 guide them in the right direction. Be a be a helping hand. You know I I I've had to learn the hard way of you know you know me and my wife uh, we you know. My parents grew up disciplining me, so you know I I thought that was the right thing to do is discipline the kids, and it's re- it really isn't. It's it's discipline in different ways, you know. It's it's making them understand what they did wrong and making them do it right, and it's just it's just being a guiding hand, you know, being more being a, not only a parent but a friend. You hear that, good Mike? Advice. That's a good advice, and uh, maybe one maybe about fifteen years down the road, I'll I'll take that advice too. Yeah, when they're both when they're both teenagers, I'll call them back and we'll have that discussion again. We'll continue that discussion. Correct. Um, so, uh, real quick, quick fire question: uh, What is the best ball of all time? Greatest ball that you've ever thrown? Greatest ball of all time. I, I don't know how I can go against the uh, the V two, oh, the black mm. one, right? That writing. Oh my goodness! Mm. God, I miss mm. that ball. <laughs> the old, I, you know. I mean, you gotta say, I'm a black, black widow. Original black widow would be great. Yeah, mm. I thought you were gonna say the one. Yeah, yeah so did I. Ebonite one. Yeah, I thought. But the black. Oh, it's V2. up there. It's up there. Trust me. <laughs> the V two was a was a bad, That was a that was an amazing ball. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. One of their best. Um. Okay, real quick. I want to talk a little bit of Washington Redskins. Because uh, I know how big of a fan you are, and uh, I'm hoping there is a football season this year. So, uh, what do you think? What do they got to do in the off season here to get themselves uh, out of the um, the cellar? And uh, my uh, follow up question to that is, uh, you know, we, we we have a good friend by the name of Bill O'Neill, and uh, he used to be a Washington Redskins uh, Redskins fan, I think, and now he's an Eagles fan. So. Uh, is there any resentment? Like, do you like give him a lot of shit for jumping kind of ship? I think he is what I kind of call it, or maybe a, a little bit of a bandwagon fan. Or, or I mean, you have any thoughts on that? Well, we'll start with the Redskins question first. Um, don't screw up the draft, Daniel Snyder. How about that to start? Um, we got mm. the second pick in the draft, and it better be Chase Young out of Ohio State. That will solidify the defense. But man, we need a lot of help on offense, and you know, I don't. I don't know what they're going to do with the offense, but, you know, with Ron Rivera coming in, I think that's a great change. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in the draft itself. 
Um, so I think it's going to be another long year. I think it's going to be maybe a six and ten season, and it's frustrating, man, to go through it every year. And you know how diehard I am. I'm miserable for about two hours after the game every <laughs> Sunday. So, uh, but uh, but this Bill O'Neill scumbag, uh, he. Uh, <laughs> He literally, like, we went to the Ravens-Redskins game in Baltimore one year together. He was on board. He was telling me he had been a Redskins fan since he was a kid when his mom bought him a Halloween costume with Redskins on it. And then he, then he turned coats on me, bro. He's a scumbag. And then I, his dad's an Eagles fan, and every Sunday I send a picture from my phone to his dad with a bird on it. I just give him the big bird. And um, I'm like, yeah, take that, Eagles fan. And so now Billy and his, and his dad get it. Both of them do. So <laughs> I have cut Billy O'Neill off. If Billy wants to fight about it, we can, we'll take it outside and I'll scrap around with him. <laughs> All right. Well, hold on. Hold on one, one minute. I got I to gotta speak on this for a second because the reason behind Bill's, Bill's change of fandom in football is because, you know, he lives in the Philadelphia area and his son, he has a son who's growing up in the Philadelphia area. And listen, I grew up in Philly. I rep Philly. If you're not an Eagles fan down there and you're rooting for another team, especially another team in the division, listen, there's a chance you're going to have to scrap it up all the time over your, your choice of a team. So he, his switch was actually in the best interest of his son so that his son doesn't have to go around defending his, his father's piss-poor choice of a football team to root for his entire life. But – yeah, so, so you're I'm telling not, me it's, it's all because of Gavin, all little Gavin. That's why he switches for Gavin. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's the that's the premise behind it for sure. Listen, I mean, you, you Philly fans throw snowballs at Santa Claus. Are you kidding me? I know that's what I'm saying. You, listen, you know that's why you don't want to raise your kid as a Redskins fan in Philly. Not only might the kid have to fight, you might have to fight too. Bill may have had to fight some fights over that. Like, I don't know. It's, he's just better off switching. Let's just say he's better Bill, off. We Bill will hear two sounds. Bill, Bill will hear me hitting him and him hitting the floor. <laughs> I love it. I love that. All right, man. We're going we're gonna to wrap it up there. And just to be clear, all in fun, we're, uh, we're just having a good time with our buddy here. Shout out to those guys. Uh, listen, Mr. Couch, we greatly appreciate the time. We love having our Hall of Famers on around here. Uh, excellent opportunity to interview you. So, um Good luck with the PBA 50, you know, when things continue. And, uh, yeah, Rob, when we see him out there, we'll, we definitely got a Bud Light for him, no question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, appreciate it, Jason, man. Yeah, good luck. And, uh, you know, uh, um, do you have, hey, oh, we forgot to ask. Jason, you have any plugs, anybody that you're representing that you want to give a shout-out to, uh, any, you know, sponsors, anybody supporting your career? Bro, you know me, man. I'm about as loyal as they come, man. I'm in, I'm in my 29th year with the contract with Ebonite. Um, I am, uh, you know, with Turbo Grip still, Dexter Bowling. You know, they, they take care of me. Um, Ace Mitchell Bowlers Mart, dude. I, you, you know me, man. I'm loyal. I stick with the same, same crew all the time, man. And I appreciate you guys letting me have the plug. Absolutely, man. Thanks again for the time. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank all you. All right, guys. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Well, Rob. Man, what a great interview. <laughs> I knew Jason was going to bring the fire, bro. He's, he's a pretty fiery guy, and uh, I kind of poked him a little bit asking him about that Redskins, and uh, I kind of knew uh, just because I, I know Jason on a personal level that uh, that bothers him to his bone about uh, Bill uh, switching fandom, and, and, and I kind of knew that was going to set him off a little bit. So uh, 
anyway, great story, man. Great hearing the tour stories. Uh, I, my favorite story is, though, that Oscu story. Like, that's just Jason Couch. That's the definition of Jason Couch and his career, right? I mean, wouldn't you say that story is pretty much how Jason was on his whole career bowling on tour? I'd say that's why we're sweep the rack. But, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we've heard about uh, Timmy Mack, right, and, and the inspirational kind of guy that he is. So imagine being the type of guy that has to light a fire under Timmy Mack and tell him how it is. I mean, that's, that's who Jason Couch was in that situation. So, yeah, I'd love to go back and see that match. I mean, damn, anybody got that on tape that can send that to us? Uh, uh, shoot it through email maybe? Let us know. I'm going to be yeah. searching on YouTube for that one, no question. Uh, yeah. Rob, I mean, you know. Yeah, the other thing that uh, I, I wish there was more of is him bowling Pete Weber on TV. And, and I just kept thinking about, like, back to shows, and I didn't really remember them at all bowling each other on TV. And the more I think about it, Mike, that's like a dream match for a fan to see them bowl each other on TV, and they never bowl each other one-on-one -on, -one on TV. According to, like, he didn't remember, and I couldn't remember, and I know – you, you, you couldn't, re like, recall. So, to me, that was uh, maybe, Mike, PBA 50. Maybe we finally get to see them meet in a, in a, in a, in a, in a match on a stepladder. That would be amazing. Yeah, but I need, like, I need, like vintage, uh, vintage I pissed off Pete Weber, right? I like, I, I need Pete Weber when he was getting suspended. I need Pete Weber when... I need I, I need Pete I Weber with the mullet, okay? I or I need Pete uh, Weber from the fifth U.S. Open win when, like, uh, if you even put your towel and touched his bowling ball, he was going to get in your ass for it. Like, I need that against fiery Jason Couch. Right? I know. That, that, yeah. To me, that's TV like we need today. We need guys like that with that personality, with that fire bowling each other and getting in each other. I wouldn't say getting in each other's faces, but, you know, like bringing it to them, taking jabs at each other when they, you know, when they strike and just like really wanting to win. And that's what I loved about Couch and his career so much, Mike, seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think that was a great interview. I mean, if you're, if you were listening to that closely, you know, there's quite a few, uh, quite a few gems in there that, uh, that he dropped, not only story wise, but also just, you know, uh, in, in general conversation about things. So, uh, yeah, great interview. Awesome to have him. And uh, as always, we appreciate the time. All right. So, Rob, uh, I hope the people enjoyed the episode tonight. Uh, you know, little little conversation, little interview. Great interview with Jason Couch. Uh, final thoughts for us, Rob? Yo, man, I couldn't. I was dying, man, when, when, when Couch was talking about Bill. And I knew I was egging him on. But, uh you know, I don't know, man. Final thoughts. It's 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 trying to trying to produce some good stuff here. Uh, you know, uh, Mike. There's a lot of other people that are home that are putting out content, and uh, you know, the bowling world is is good for it. Uh, and I, I feel like I, I like to see some of the content, but honestly, like I'm not really following along with a lot of it, just because I just kind of get that you get the same content with everybody. So uh, we, we're trying to be different, Mike, and we're trying to be outside the box and try to be fun and interesting and creative instead of just, you know, the same old answers and questions. And I hope people really enjoyed that interview because I don't think you'll ever hear an interview like that with any other bowling uh, outlet out there. 
Yeah, you know, I've been checking out all the bowling content. I watch everything and listen to everything. Um, you know, definitely some stuff I think that's worth worth your time, and I've mentioned it on previous podcasts. You know, others I'd say, huh, you know, probably more geared towards a marketing effort rather than an entertainment effort. You know, and that's that's kind of where I draw the line. Like, I, I don't I don't really want to be marketed to. In, under the disguise of entertainment, I want to be entertained. And if you want to market to me a little bit, okay, go ahead. But um, yeah, so a little bit of a fine line there. But yeah, a little bit, a little bit crowded in the uh, the bowling content game right now. A few months ago, it was it, I felt like it was just us, Rob. But uh, you know, that's cool. I, I'm happy to see it. It's keeping me entertained somewhat. You know, throughout uh, throughout all this. So, uh, Rob, I know you're entertained because you've been checking out the wire. Because I've been seeing your your comments on Twitter, so I mean, you only waited fifteen years to watch the show ever. So how's it going? Yo, love this show, man. I have to go back and listen to our podcast uh, we did with Bill uh, when you guys compared the Wire characters to PBA pros. Uh, I have to re- go back and re-listen to that and uh, see now what you guys were talking about because I kind of on the same page. But man. I don't want to blow it for people who haven't seen it, but at this point, if you haven't seen it, then uh, Stringer, man, uh, that, that hurt me to my bone. I, I, I thought he was going to be, like, there until the last episode. I thought he was, like, the main guy. Uh, man, R.I.P. Stringer, man, pour, pour one out for my guy, man. Yeah, but you're either, you're either, you know, he was told, like, you're either a gangster or a businessman, and, and, and you can't play both. You know, and that's that's what he tried to do, and it caught up with him. You know, it's an important lesson to learn from the streets. If you're going to go gangster, you better go full gangster, son. Yo, and he, he, you know, he did make some decisions. And you know what, man? If, if you're going to take a shot at the king, you best not miss. Very true. Very true. So glad to hear you're, uh, you're enjoying The Wire. Actually, The Ringer, a uh, little podcast plug here, The Ringer Podcast Network with Bill Simmons, just started a Wire Rewatchables podcast where there's two people who are watching The Wire from episode one and like releasing a podcast for, I think, each episode or each series of episodes. So you may want to check that out, Rob, since you're just getting into it, you know, maybe a little more fresh in your, uh, in your memory there. But yeah, great, great show. I recommend it to everybody. We've talked about it on, uh, you know, obviously on the pod before, but, uh, I, I wish I I wish I could, you know hadn't watched something of that quality so that I had something to keep me entertained during these times. But you know, all well and good. We'll survive. We'll be all right. So uh, Rob, take it easy, homie. We'll uh, we'll we'll talk next week, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, don't forget, people, uh, give us a follow on social media uh, at Sweep the Rack Twitter at Sweep the Rack Instagram. Uh, hit us up on Gmail, and uh, yeah. Uh, you know, let, let's hear from you guys. Um, let's any show ideas, anything you guys want us to do. Uh, we read all the emails. We apologize if we're not responding to everybody. Uh, you know, Mike, uh, I, I'm really busy these days. You know, uh, watching. Oh, you're, always, you're always busy, Rob. You're always busy. I, I'm just sorry. I got a lot of wire to watch, Mike. I got I wire to watch. Busy. Me personally, I just get tired of sending emails because that's all I do for work right now. So. You know, when my day is over, the last the last thing I feel like doing is send another email because I probably just sent five emails throughout the day. But um, <laughs> you're in my world. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep my world. the emails coming though. Keep the emails coming. 
hit us up on social media. And, you know, if you're somebody in the bowling industry that's listening to this, you want to come on, hit us up. We're, we're, uh, you know, more, more than willing to have you on and, uh, and chop it up. So, uh, Rob, take it easy, homie. Oh yeah. Hey, good, uh, good luck on the draft, uh, this week. That's a big, big deal this week since there's nothing. Oh, really yeah. Talk about live sports entertainment. I mean, God, <laughs> people are going to be yeah. glued to their piece for the draft. Me, Simon, I ain't so much into, I watched the first round or two, but that's about yeah. it. So it's going to be on TV. Yeah, go, all working, so true. Go birds. Go birds. All, all right. right later. All right. Peace. You are now listening to Sweep the Rack Podcast.